Thank you, John. I love that Psalm, Psalm 128. Uh, let's open our Bibles to Exodus 20. We'll get to that in just a moment. If you have a prayer slip or visitor slip, uh, we'd like to collect those. Before we go into God's Word um, this morning, I want to take a moment to recognize, this is one of my favorite times of the year actually, recognize and applaud and honor the mothers and the women of God in this, in this church body. Every mother is a potential world changer. Uh, mothers have a powerful calling. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world, it has been said. Uh, mothers have a powerful calling that can affect not only their children, but untold numbers from them. And so I, I would want this time to be a time of encouragement, whether your children are young or old, that you would continue to sow the Word of God into their lives. It's a sweet opportunity for Christians to celebrate one of God's uh, most significant means of His common and redeeming grace, and that is motherhood. And it should move our hearts. So, ladies, this year, in lieu of a candle, or a pen, or a coffee mug, <laughs> we were led to give a gift and honor the mothers and the women of God of FBCG to the Louisiana Baptist Children's Home. And I wrote Dr. Perry Hancock, we're, we're vested partners with him anyway, but I wrote to him, greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice in the ministry of the Louisiana Baptist Children's Home. Your far-reaching compassion on the front line of desperate needs in our state and beyond makes your work a top priority to us. A quick perusal of your website reminds us of how the love of God flows through you to meet pressing needs. We stand with you as you offer residential child and family care short-term crisis care for children, foster and adoption ministries, and much more. We were led this Mother's Day to send an offering over and above our monthly support in honor of the mothers and the women of God at First Baptist Church, Gonzales, Louisiana. Please express to your staff and the children our love and support for them. May Jesus Christ be praised this Mother's Day and every day as we remember His grace that has abounded to us. With much appreciation for your ministry, we send our love and prayers to you all at the Louisiana Baptist Children's Home. And ladies, somehow we felt like that would mean more than a coffee mug. And so every week you're reminded of the foster care needs in our state. I'm thankful for um, this body's commitment to, to advocate and to stand uh, in need of, of, of foster parents and adoption in the state of Louisiana. But moms and women of God, we've always emphasized on Mother's Day that um, our sisters in Christ are of great value in, in, in the gospel, and we stand with you to fulfill uh, the command of God. I'm going to ask the mothers and the women of God of this church to stand for just a moment. I would like to honor you and bless you as you stand, uh, that the Lord would encourage you this morning, would fill your cup to overflowing and that you would not grow weary in well-doing. So, can I pray for you? Lord, I thank you for the mothers and the women of God in this church family. I pray that you would encourage them with the challenges and demands of motherhood, whether it's small children and diapers or grown children with needs, that they would have a resolve that when life is hard, I will rejoice in my Redeemer who lives forever. 
and that your grace would abound in their life, that they would have joy as they sow your word into the lives of their children and their family. We pray that every family would be impacted by the power of their word, speaking your word as they embrace the importance of their role and that as a church, we would salute them and that the wonderful, graceful garland and beautiful crown would be our witness in this world. Lord, I pray that on this Mother's Day, we would never forget why you came, that your grace is greater than all of our sins and failures, and you've promised to be with us always. And I think that applies certainly, most certainly, to mothers. And I pray, Lord, you, you would encourage and bless this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, ladies. Honor your father and mother. And we come to Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. When Moses received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, these words were etched in stone by the finger of God and would stand really as a timeless witness a timeless revelation of what God commands not only to Israel, but for all people. The first four commandments speak to our relationship with God. You're to have no other gods before me. You're not to make any idol because every idol is, um, is a localizing of the sovereign, omniscient God, om- omnipresent God. It's to trivialize the God who is, who's majestic and holy and awesome, so any idol gets it wrong all the time. No idols. You're not to take the Lord's name in vain, in an empty way. You're not to use His name loosely in conversation. You're not to use His name loosely in joking around, and certainly not as a curse word. You're not to take His name lightly. And then the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy for Israel was a special remembrance of God, who God was, a time to reflect and to worship and to rest. And certainly is applied to us as we look at our relationship and rest that we know in the salvation of Jesus Christ. The next six commandments focus on our relationship with one another. We're not to covet, that's number 10. We're not to bear false witness. That's devastating to people's lives. Um, We're we're not to to steal. We're not to um, commit adultery. We're not to kill. And Jesus expands our understanding of that by saying, hey, that's an inside job. It begins in the heart. And if you have those thoughts, God views that as um, actually sinful and participating in this command. Um, The fifth commandment, is honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. It was Augustine who once wrote of the importance of this command by asking, if anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? That's a good question. If you'll diss your mother and your father, uh, who won't you take advantage of and disrespect? And so, The disregard of this commandment leads to the fall of nations. Philip Ryken, in his commentary, said the way to destroy a nation is to destroy the family, which ought to fill us all with a great sense of trepidation in light of the current situation. The way to destroy a nation is to destroy the family, and the way children can destroy the family is by disobeying their parents. 
I know there's some yeah buts there. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, and we're going to deal with some of that on the tail end. Yeah, there's abuse, and yeah, there's sin, and yeah, there's um, awful things that occur in family relationships and in the culture as, as a whole. I, we understand that. But we're going to hold up this command, and that the driving principle and truth of this command should guide our life. And that is that we learn to honor and respect, and that respect begins in, in the home with our parents. This reality alone, you know, in our national experience, the 60s is kind of marked as the beginning of this anti-establishment, anti-establishment sentiment. Um, again, Riken in his commentary mentions um, Annie Gottlieb uh, as one of many participants who identify the 60s as the generation that destroyed the American family. Gottlieb wrote, we might not have been able to tear down the state, but the family was closer. We could get our hands on it, and we believe that the family was the foundation of the state as well as the collective state of mind. We believe that the family had to be torn apart to free love, which alone could heal the damage done when the atom was split to release energy. And the first step was to tear ourselves free from our parents. I think it's been a pretty successful movement, don't you? She was right, the way to destroy a nation is to destroy the family, and the way children can destroy the family is by disobeying their parents. God's plan for the protection of the family, however, to this assassin's plot, and for human flourishing is found in the simple word that focuses on honor and respect. With no real qualifiers, God says, honor your father and your mother, and he gives a promise with it that it may be well for you in this land that I'm giving to you. Within the incubator of the home, life is nurtured and forged. And there's no substitute for what God has commanded in family life. The Apostle Paul refers to this fifth commandment as the first commandment with a promise that it would go well with you, that this land that I'm giving to you, you will prosper and flourish and be blessed. John brought that to our attention in singing Psalm 128, where you see the fruitfulness of God's blessing. And so my prayer for our worship and God's Word this morning is that we, through the unfolding of this simple commandment, we would have some attitude changes in this room today. We would have some um, um, healing in this room today. We would humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and work through the difficulties that may hold our heart in bondage towards others. Let's, so let's break it down this way. First, love begins at home. <laughs> love begins at home. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land. Love for God must come first in the Ten Commandments. No other gods before me, Jesus said the greatest commandment, quoting the law, was that we would love God with all of our being. John Calvin wrote, apart from the fear of God, men do not preserve equity and love among themselves. Therefore, we call the worship of God the beginning and foundation of, of righteousness. The position of this command speaks to the importance of the family. One Old Testament scholar said, just as the relationship with Yahweh is the beginning of the covenant for Israel, so this relationship between parents and children is the beginning of society. The inevitable point of departure for every human relationship. The first relationship 
beyond the relationship with Yahweh, who according to the Old Testament is the giver of life, Yahweh being God's covenant name. And so in this giver of life is the relationship to father and to mother, who together are channels of Yahweh's gift of life. No other human relationship is so fundamental and none is more important. God's command to His people to bring up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is one of the most important in all the Bible. And under such care, children begin to receive what God intends the family to be. Their first hospital. Their first school. Their first government. (laughs) Their first church. Charles Swindoll, I'm always reminded of this quote from Swindoll um, around this time of year. He says, whatever else may be said about the home, it is the bottom line of life, the anvil upon which attitudes and convictions are hammered out. It is the place where life's bills come due. The single most influential force in our earthly existence No price tag can adequately reflect its value. No gauge can measure its influence for good or for ill. It is at home among family members that we come to terms with circumstances. It's here where life makes up its mind. And there's not a week that goes by in the gathering of this church that we don't pray for the marriages, for the families of this body, because we know that the number one attack from the evil one is on on the family. Is upon marriage. Home is, is not where you put food in front of everybody's face three times a day. It's where life is forged. It's where we learn to love. It's where we learn to live. It's where we learn to forgive and a host of other things. I'm so thankful for God's common grace in this world. We know that some, for one reason or another, are not nurtured in a Christian home. I know many in this church did not grow up in a Christian home. But God's grace found us, didn't it? Regardless of what avenue of life you've come from, whatever uh, family tree is yours, uh, every family tree needs a Savior. And Jesus Christ is that Savior. His grace has reached out to us. But His usual means, as we find in Scripture, is that one generation is declaring His praise to the next and that this is passed on from from one generation to the next. Notice with me, secondly... In this command, the weight of honor, giving honor to whom honor is due. The reason I refer to this as the weight of honor is because that's what the Hebrew word means. The word honor in Hebrew is the Hebrew word kabod. And it means heavy, weighty. It was the word that Moses used in Exodus 33 when he said, Lord, show me your kabod. Show me your weight. Show me your heaviness. Show me the weight of your majesty. So to honor one's parents is to give due weight to their role in your life. To give them recognition they deserve for for their established role in your life. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. This book of wisdom written primarily by Solomon begins uh, kind of... uh, In this prologue section, verses 1 through 7, where the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So where do we learn that? Well, he tells us in Proverbs 1, 8. And this is one of, I think, 26 my son's statements in the book of Proverbs. And he says, hear, my son, your father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching. 
And I love the, uh, the, the combined parallelism there in the Hebrew uh, poetry, the father's instruction, the mother's teaching. One is not more important than the other. Here they're both mentioned as the usual setup for a family life. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Can you remember things your mother taught you? Things that echo in your mind? Things that you carry with you? Good examples? that she You're a blessed man. You're a blessed woman if you have those memories. Maybe it's a nightmare to think those thoughts. We understand that. But it doesn't have to be for your future. God can begin a new work in you and a new work of grace in, into your family based upon the power of his gospel, your father's instruction, your mother's teaching. Turn with me a couple pages to Proverbs 6, verse 20. Proverbs 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you, when you awake, they will talk with you. Have, you ever, have you ever had a moment where you, you could just hear your parents talking to you and you're adult and you're years removed from them? Verse 23, for the commandment is a lamp and the, light, and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Of life. It doesn't say fathers instruct and mothers merely change diapers. It's a, it's a combo effort here, ladies, men. And often, if we're lagging behind, we're called to step up and to speak spiritual truth into our children and our grandchildren. And what we see here is that the family is God's idea. It's the incubator to, to pass on truth to the next generation. We should labor for laws and truth that... Um, that support that. And so the family is God's basic school for instructing children how to live in the world. And to see it corroding and crumbling all around us should cause us to cry out, Lord, may we see a revival in our generation where the hearts of fathers would turn to their children and we would see a repentance in this land coming back to truth. It is good to have said these things, but to actually implement them. I, I think of Timothy in, in the New Testament, Paul's son in the faith. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.5, I'm mindful of your sincere faith, Timothy, which first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois. I don't know who Lois was, but she had sowed, sown seeds into Timothy's heart. And your mother, Eunice, don't know Eunice either. She gets one line in the Bible. But she nurtured a Timothy who sowed the gospel and stood for righteousness in the city of Ephesus. And Paul says, I'm sure that's in you too as well, Timothy. To honor them is to respect them, to esteem them, to not make jokes about them, to care for them. Interestingly, this command, uh, this uh, fifth commandment was actually given to the nation, so that primarily is adults. Adults were commanded, honor your father and mother. We don't, we don't live in a culture that prizes that. 
Our culture prizes youth. And once you begin to take on a little gray, you're out to pasture, buddy. But not, not so for the people of God. Not so for us. Do you honor your mother? Little boy? Little girl? Do you honor her? It's awful hard, preacher. I know. It's awful hard. God knows all about that. But that difficulty you're facing in wanting to obey her is a training ground for greater trials to come. Am I talking to a little girl here today who's struggling to obey her mother? A teenager? Would you hear this word for you? And for those of us who are older, it doesn't stop when we reach the age of 18. We're to honor them all the days of our life. How many parents languish in nursing homes never with a visit? That should never happen among the people of God. How many believers never contact their mother? Oh, I know they're extenuating circumstances. We're going to get to that at the end. And how the gospel gives hope to bad relationships and family. But as much as it depends upon us, who are we to show God's grace and love? Even to our enemies. And so, I read this past week on the cover of one magazine for teenage girls. It asked, do you really hate your parents? Like, who doesn't? The magazine proceeded, proceeded to offer advice on how to deal with your detestables. Your parents. The Bible has the strongest warnings against that kind of attitude. In fact, I was just doing a little perusal in Leviticus 20. Let's turn there. Leviticus 20, verse 9. By the way, it's good to hear the pages. I want to urge you to bring your Bibles to church. It's a statement. And more importantly, you'll be able to verify that what I'm saying is true. Leviticus 20, verse 9. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Wow. That's stiff, isn't it? Don't picture a little boy who spills his milk at the table of ancient Israel being stoned. That's not the picture here. The idea here is a pronounced rebellion of an older child. And in light of the Ten Commandments and the covenant relationship that God established with Israel, this was the penalty under ancient Israel. That's not the penalty today. I'm not advocating that today. But it was in Israel. And what, it, what does that say about the way God views rebellion? I'd say he hates it, wouldn't you? That if it earns you the death sentence for disrespecting, dishonoring, and cursing your parents... We ought to hide that in our heart that it does not sit well with him if that is our attitude. Deuteronomy 21. If a man has a stubborn or rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him. So this is a protracted case of someone going off the rails, a son going off the rails after being disciplined and exhorted and spoken to and addressed his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. Then all the men of this town shall stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. 
All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. I guess so. That would be a deterrent if I disrespect my parents and dishonor them repeatedly with no repentance. I can expect a free escort outside the city to bear the penalty for that. Again, (laughs) we're not advocating that to be the penalty for disobedience today, only to emphasize what God thinks of it and that consequences need to be borne. And then I would mention the curses that come in the law. Cursed be the man who makes a carved image. It's an abomination. I'm, I'm reading from Deuteronomy 27 here. Verse, 20, uh, verse 16, Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father and mother. And then he goes on to a, a list of, of curses. Deuteronomy 27, 18. Listen to this one. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road. What does that communicate? You're mean. That's what that communicates. God doesn't like mean people. You're mean. That you would take a blind person and lead them astray. Cursed be you in ancient Israel. And then he goes into sordid sexual sins. Cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife and uncovers his father's nakedness. Lies with any kind of animal. Lies with his sister. Cursed be anyone who strikes down his neighbor in secret. That's premeditated murder. Cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood. Well, those are awful sins. God places dishonoring, disrespecting, and cursing your parents in in the cluster of those sins to say it's serious. So how should we as believers think about the law of God in our life? If God hates it and has gone on record with His old covenant people, how should I long to please Him? I would think it would be to do the direct opposite, wouldn't you? That was mighty tepid. I would be expecting, yeah, you're right. That's an overwhelming argument, Pastor. That's exactly what we need to do. And I pray that it would come forth. God places dishonoring one's parents in the category of the worst sins that can be committed. The penalty for dishonoring your parents no longer carries with it stoning, but the New Testament emphasizes that disobedience to parents is one of the signs of living in the difficulties of the last days. Listen to this noxious, caustic list in 2 Timothy chapter 3. For in the last days, that is the time since the second coming of Jesus Christ until He returns again, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasing, slanderous, and on and on and on it goes. And so the appeal is, I'm not to love the way the world thinks and acts. I've got a call on my life. I need to honor the Lord. Notice with me thirdly, the command with a promise. The command with a promise. Paul says in the New Testament that this command, this fifth commandment to honor your father and mother is the first commandment with a promise. Well, what's the promise? Well, that it may go well with you. When you enter this land, which God had promised to Abraham and now had come into fruition uh, after Moses, if, you, if you're going to do well in the land, you need, to, you need to honor your father and mother that you may live long in the land. And this isn't a universal promise. We, we live in a time where God's providence works itself out in many ways. 
But the, the, the prevailing principle here is that it will go well with you. Honoring our parents is for our own well-being. That it may go well for you. It prepares us for a life that honors God. Because I'm learning to follow my parents and my authorities. I'm learning to follow God's word and God's commands in my life. The promise is intended to give you encouragement to want to do that. When you come to embrace God's word and his commands and directives to us, and we don't view them as a hassle, but view them as life-giving, our life begins to change and we're conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Do you remember on those occasions when Jesus in his public ministry at his baptism at the Mount of Transfiguration, heaven opened and the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He always did that which pleased his Father. Maybe so of us. Philip Ryken again says, God knows how hard it is to obey our parents. He also knows that children find it easier to obey when they're promised the reward. So the fifth commandment comes with the promise of long life in God's land. For the Israelites, this would have been, who have just been redeemed from slavery, this was a, a special command. God was promising a new land, and one way to enjoy that, what, what he had given, was to honor fathers and mothers. And obedience in this area prepares you. Listen, if you don't learn respect, and you don't learn to honor authority, guess what? Life becomes all about you, and you make everybody miserable. Have you ever seen a child out of control in public? Pick a doctor's office or the grocery store or a restaurant. Look, you, ma'am, your kid's in the salad bar. Would you? Yeah. It hurts, doesn't it? Well, that's just a little inconvenience in public. Imagine what it's life at home. And so when we don't learn honor and respect in the incubator of the home, beginning with the primary relationship with father and mother, it's painful. It's the teacher's fault. It's the coach's fault. It's the fault of other people. It's, it's the boss's fault. And life becomes one excuse after another on why Things aren't going your way. But when I think of, of this command too, isn't it a great precursor of preparation for the gospel? What does the gospel of Jesus Christ call us to do? We're, we're called to humble ourselves before God. We're, we're to acknowledge our sin. We are to deny ourselves. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. It's a call to present ourselves in obedience and to live a surrendered life. Learning to submit to authority, when that's not learned, it becomes painful indeed. In Proverbs 15, it says, the fear of the Lord is, is instruction and wisdom and humility comes before honor. Let me close with this. Maybe it's where some of you are today. When, when, when honor doesn't seem possible. What am I talking about? Well, um, I'm talking about abusive situations, I'm talking about painful memories, I'm talking about abandonment. We live in a time, in our experience, 
of unprecedented division, rancor, hostility, irreconcilable relationships seem to abound. So what do I do when honor doesn't seem possible for me? This whole idea of honoring my mother, maybe you haven't seen her in years, maybe um, conversations deteriorate quickly when you do have conversations. I just kind of want to look at it from a believer's perspective. How am I to obey this command when it doesn't even seem possible for me? I would begin by challenging us to develop a heart of gratitude towards our mothers. For those who had godly, good mothers who gave sacrificially, we need to stoke up our heart with regard to gratitude that she cared for us and took care of us and we should be grateful for her all the days of our life. Mother's Day comes, we're on it. Birthday comes, we know all about it. We've anticipated it. We're not rushing to um, the store in the last hour to find wilted flowers to try to admit. We're thinking ahead about it. We're thinking of her life. We're, all, we're praying for her. We're grateful for all that she's done for us. Um, but when those difficulties are there, what's the counsel then, Pastor? I would still ask God to give you a heart of gratitude, even for the painful memories, that you might show the love of God to her one day. If the door opens, and it might not be open right now, but it begins with having a heart of gratitude that God is aware of every circumstance and every detail and every hardship of your life, and His grace is greater than it all. And so what's not going to serve you well in honoring Christ in the relationships of your life is to mount up a, a bitter heart. Bitterness is sludge to your soul. It's not going to help you live free in the Lord. It's not going to help you show His kindness and His grace to others. So maybe that's mission impossible for you right now, but maybe you could begin with a simple prayer. Lord, help me to love my mother. I've got these issues. I've got this pain. Help, help me to love her. Uh, the second thing I would point to is grace and forgiveness. Family life can bring some of the most painful and disappointing experiences that we know. And we're always impacted by the sin of others, aren't we? Everyone in this room has been impacted by the sins of others in one way or another. King David wrote in Psalm 27, maybe you didn't know this about David, the sweet singer of Israel, in Psalm 27, he said, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. So he knew a lot about forsaken, being forsaken. I, I want to point your attention to Hebrews 4. This is another text this morning. In Hebrews 4, the application of the gospel. And I, I, I want to put our closing thoughts here and we'll come to an end. But in Hebrews 4, really the challenge here is to live out this new life in Christ. And that can be difficult because we've got issues, don't we? All of us have baggage of one way or another. But in Hebrews chapter 4, we're to put off these things and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in, in this final section of chapter 4, Ephesians 4, picking up in verse 25, he deals with several things that kind of mirror the law a little bit. In Ephesians 4, 25, we're, we're, uh, we're to put away falsehood. We're to put away lying and speak the truth one with another. Um, in verses 26 and 27, we're to put off anger. Be angry and do not sin, which is a hard thing to do, isn't it? 
Um, because often our, our anger doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. It only makes things worse. Be angry and do not sin, meaning that there is a righteous anger over issues of sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, which means don't, don't allow things to, keep, to go unresolved. Seek as much as you are able to have a resolve and for there to be a transaction of forgiveness under the claims of the gospel. Don't give the devil an opportunity, says in verse 27. Verse 28, put off stealing and work honestly for your wages. Verse 29 is powerful. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. That's a, that's a strong Greek word, unwholesome. It doesn't really do it justice. It means this. Don't let any stinking, rotten, putrefying word come out of your mouth. Don't, don't let that happen. Put off destructive words and speak words that build up, not tear down. So think about how that would apply to your parents, your mother. You know, coming to the place where you're, you would never even imagine entering into a conversation about that and allow that to apply to every conversation we have in life. Put these things off but here is where I want us to close. Because this, I believe, is at the heart of any type of resolve from personal hurt. And it's in verses 31 and 32. He says in verse 31, let all bitterness, that means unresolved forgiveness and hostility towards another person for a wrong suffered. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Put out of your life. It should not be named among the children of God. Why, Paul? Well, because we're to be kind to one another, verse 32. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another even as God has forgiven us. Put off bitterness and to show the grace and love that he has shown to us. Again, circumstances are thorny and tangled and some things are so tangled that they won't be resolved until the judgment seat of Christ. But as much as it depends upon us, we're going to be people who forgive because God's forgiven us much. And it may not even be possible for you to have a conversation with somebody in your family. But you're ready. Part of manifesting this attitude, you're ready for it. You're looking for opportunities for it. You're refusing to allow bitterness to, to, to roost in your heart. How can we in light of what God has done for us? Let me go on to say that I believe in abusive situations, there's recourse there's accountability. There are consequences. There are laws in place. But even though that's worked out, that's not a call to be bitter. And there should be accountability. And this isn't a call to lob your enemy's softballs. But it is a call to guard your heart. And as much as it depends upon us to honor them, so respect your mother, remember your mother, 
reach out to your mother and trust the Lord to bring glory and honor through that relationship. I am I'm thankful for how the change of the gospel comes into our lives. How we, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And really a call to do what is right. And I pray that the fifth commandment would lead us in that. All mothers need Jesus Christ. Every mother needs Jesus Christ. All mothers need his finished work on the cross. All mothers need his all-sufficient grace poured into their life. The message of the Bible holds up Jesus Christ as the only hope as we face our sins, the sorrows and disappointments of life. He's a wonderful redeemer and a gracious savior. The truth is, if your entrance requirement to heaven was that you honored your parents, would there be anybody here? Who would enter based upon your obedience track record of honor? Yes? No? No. All of us have dishonor in our track record. And that's the message of the gospel. It brings us back to why we need Christ. And so if we were to go down all the Ten Commandments, we would see an F for failure and broken by each one of them. And that leads us to why Jesus came, who fulfilled the law perfectly, that by faith in him, we might be forgiven. Would you bow with me in prayer? I just would hold out this wonderful news, this good news, that you right now, regardless of your past, regardless of your present, that the gospel and the grace of God can come to you right now. And perhaps your eyes have been opened to your need for Jesus. His death on the cross and his resurrection as payment for your sins. And the hope that you can forgive and to live the life that he's called you to live. Would you call out to him now? Turning from your sins. Repenting from them. To receive him by faith. Lord Jesus. Receive me a sinner. Maybe there are issues in your life as a believer that drag stubbornly. His grace is powerful to deliver and set free. Would you call out to him? Would you put into action what you know you need to do? And may today be filled with freedom and liberty and peace and love and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.